Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Morning. Children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Head back. Hope you have a great time. We're going to have a blast in here, right? And I hope you have a blast back there, too. I can tell we've got a little work to do in here first. I'm just teasing. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Aaron Barker. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, the great privilege being senior pastor here at West Hill, and we continue to be amazed at what God continues to do in us and through us, and I'm thankful that you're here today, that we can sing and proclaim the name of Jesus. Amen? Isn't it, when you stop to think about it, like, it's kind of weird, like, singing. I don't mean that in a bad way, like, I know, okay, let me just clarify. I know I'm weird, so, so are you, but um, when we think about it, like, you go to concerts, and you might sing in the shower, but to actually come together in a group and to sing together, like besides a concert, where does that happen? In church, right? Like when, when, like you can sing around a campfire. That, that's always fun. Kumbaya. Um, and, and I just don't know a whole lot of families. And again, our family's weird. We know that. Um, but it's really neat to think about, like, we gather as the body of Christ and we lift up our voices together to bring praise and honor to the Lord, to the creator of all creation, to lift up the name of Jesus, the one that we proclaim as Andrew prayed, the name of Jesus that saves us. It's awesome. We get to do that together. And now we get to open up God's word together. And I'm excited about that. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. Uh, we'll finish out Romans chapter 12 today. I've been asked uh, by several people, are we going to be able to finish Romans by the end of this year? And the answer is no, we won't. All right. So I decided back several weeks ago, um, probably a couple months ago, that I wasn't going to be able to do that, finish it out. Um, but that's okay. Um, so a new year will continue um, just to kind of let you, uh, give you foresight of where we're headed. Um, this week and next week, today we'll finish chapter 12. Next week we'll cover Romans 13. So if you have time this week and you're just sitting around and you need some extra time just to wait for that turkey to settle, uh, read Romans 13. Read through it a few times and uh, kind of prepare your mind and heart, and then we'll jump into it next week. And then, uh, and then we'll walk through a four-week series on Christmas, and uh, it's Christmas faith. And so we'll kind of look at different characters uh, of Scripture that, that tells us and walks us through their faith as they walked through uh, the birth of Christ. And so excited to walk through that in December as we lead up to Christmas. And then uh, we'll start the new year, and as is my custom... Uh, for now for, um, it will be 17 out of 18 years. One year I just took a break. Uh, but all these years we do the month of January on stewardship. And so if you're going to miss a month, don't miss January. Okay. And it's not all about money. For those of you who haven't been around, it's not just about money. Money is an area of stewardship. Uh, but we're going to talk about, uh, Prayerful stewardship, and what does that look like as we live out our lives for Jesus in the month of January? February, in the beginning of March, we'll, we'll finish the book of Romans and walk through that. Uh, and then we hope to have uh, some missionary visits uh, in the midst of that. And then we're already to Easter at the end of March. Can you believe it? See, we just jumped ahead. I just took you all the way through winter, and it felt good, didn't it? Um, so we'll, we'll walk through that, get to Easter. And then after Easter, we're working on, uh, a series in the old Testament. I haven't settled yet on that. So I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing. Cause I don't want to hear your opinions to sway me. Not that I don't care. Uh, but I'm trying to work through how I can work through these books, uh, in a timely manner. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited as we've been walking through the book of Romans this year. We'll, as again, our custom, uh, we believe this is the, I do believe this is the full counsel of God's word. Uh, I'm not going to just take uh, this section here 
and say, okay, this is what we're going to focus on. That's the New Testament, by the way. Uh, this is called the Old Testament. Uh, we go back and forth, and we think that the whole testaments are important. And so we'll walk through Old Testament books uh, next year. Book or books, we've got to figure that out. You pray for me. Romans chapter 12, if you have, again, your Bibles and you've turned there, will you stand with me as we read uh, the conclusion of this, of this section? Romans chapter 12, we'll look at verses 9 through 21. It'll be up on the screen uh, behind me, and uh, hopefully you can follow along in your copy in front of you. Paul writes, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Would you bow and pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that we can join and sing of the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, you transcend above all things. And, and to think and try to comprehend what that, what that means, that you are above all. And yet, we are incapable um, to fully understand you. And yet, you still hear our prayers. Lord, as the old Puritan prayer goes, Lord, we bless thee that thou has made me comp uh, com compatible, capable of knowing you, the author of all being, that we can resemble you, the perfection of all excellency, and that we can enjoy you, the source of all happiness. You have led us and you have found in us, Lord, the opportunity to bring praise to your name. I pray that as we look to you, that we would see your promises are true. That you are worthy to be followed and to be trusted. And the life choices that we make may be in line with your word and your way. And in the areas where they don't line, uh, come in alignment, Lord, that your spirit would do your work in us. And we would allow your work and your spirit to be free to move us about and to bring about the change in us. So that your name may be declared in our life. So that your praise may come from our lips. And so that a world may see that you are worthy to be loved and to be followed. Thank you for this time. Lord, you give us to open up your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. As a reminder, I just want to take us through the first, um, first eight verses here really quickly. Um, just as we set the context again of where we're going to jump in here in verse 9. So we see that Paul has written uh, this last section of Romans, what, what I think is kind of a, a, a grouping here of chapter 12 on to the end. 
he sets the tone and he, he talks about us presenting ourselves, right? We're, we're presenting, uh, transforming, renewing, uh, testing. Uh, so why? So that we will know the will of God. And, and he warns us in verse 3, and we'll see even in this section, not to think too highly of oneself, but after seeing the grace of God displayed in our faith, uh, we see that grace displayed. We, we are seeing that the church is one body made of many members and that we are together of one another and that we all have different gifts. So seeing that all of this, he encourages the church to use these gifts. And then he lists those gifts and how to use them. Then he comes to this section in verse 9 that really, I believe, gives us uh, the characteristics and the qualities of how we live out our faith together. How we live in the world and how it's displayed. It's one thing to say you're a follower of Jesus. It's one thing to say, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. It's another thing to let Jesus do his work in us so that when we live and as we live out our lives, it is clear and evident. And that's a question that I pose to you as we begin this morning. Is it clear and evident to the people who are in your lives that you show that you love Jesus? That your life clearly demonstrates there is something different about you. Now, remember what I said earlier, we're all weird. I'm not saying let your weirdness be shown, all right? Again, we're all weird in different ways. We all have our quirkiness. I'm talking about the showing that there is something about you that transcends any other human being, and that's because it's the work of God in you. Something that you couldn't do, but that God is doing in and through you. Paul jumps in and he talks about this when he says this in this very first sentence. Let love be genuine, not hypocritical. And that's what this Greek word references. It goes to, the, uh, to be unhypocritical. We, we all know hypocrites, right? How many of you are hypocrite? Thank you for all of you who were honest. The rest of you are liars. You may not be a hypocrite, but you're a liar. I think one of the things that COVID showed me that time of walking through COVID was that we're all hypocrites. We all are. And, and Paul is writing here. He says, listen, don't let your love be hypocritical, but instead let it be genuine. Another way to say it is don't pretend. I think we have a lot of people who pretend to be Christ followers. Are you pretending to be a Christ follower? I think here's the characteristic that Paul writes here is he says, listen, don't let your love be something that you just pretend that you put on a good show. And we would even say that you put on a good show on a Sunday morning, but as you walk throughout your week, you live however you desire. That's not real love. When we look at this too, the other thing that stands out to me is what we read in, in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. When he talks about the, the, the gifting that God gives to people, and then right on the heels of those, the list of those gifts, he shares about how you can have all these gifts, but if you have not love, you're, you're worthless in a way. You're like a, 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 a noisy gong. I don't want to be a noisy gong. I want, I want to be those bells, right? Like those bells that are, people play and they make this beautiful harmony. And instead of like, dong, boom, worthless, right? If it's a dinner bell, I'll be that. That'd be good. But when we look at that, again, here Paul is writing here in another letter. So it must be important, right? On the heels of just talking about these spiritual gifts and, and using the gifts, the gifting that God's given to you, here he starts with love. Now, our world has defined what love is, or maybe I should say it this way. They've tried to redefine what love is. 
Paul, as he walks through this section, kind of helps us to define what love really looks like. And I don't know that Paul, it's hard to know exactly why he listed each one of these things as he was led by the Spirit. And if they all go back to this word love, but I, I got to believe that there's a connection as he starts this section to not be fake or pretend in your love. And then he's going to walk through a series of these uh, um, proclamations of things to do, but also he gives us some things not to do. And so as Paul walks us through this, he gave, gives us eight negatives and he gives us 20 positives. That doesn't mean there's never anything that we shouldn't abstain from. Some people just want to be positive all the time. Don't give me the negative. That's not what Paul is writing. He's saying, listen, there are some negatives that you need to be aware of and that you need to not do. But at the same time, he's saying, listen, here's what you need to be pursuing. And so in that pursuit, you look at this and he kind of sums this up and he says, okay, let love be genuine. And then he says in this next sentence, abhor what is evil. He's actually going to finish the end of this section of chapter 12, kind of in the same way, but a little bit different wording. When he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you overcome evil with good? Well, Jesus is that picture, right? Jesus overcame evil. Jesus, when he came, and what did he do? He, he came to earth from heaven, and he ultimately died on the cross for you and for me. He hung there on the cross, taking you all of our sin. Let me just say that, all, all of our sin. He paid the full penalty that you and I were required to pay. Jesus hung on the cross. He died. He was buried. And three days later, he conquered sin and death. Evil lost. So Paul, when he's writing here in the beginning, abhor what is evil. This is a strong word, abhor. It means to detest or to hate strongly. We weren't ever allowed to use that word in our house, hate. But I think it's a good word to use when we're talking about evil, right? When we're talking about sin. This is convicting to me because there are some sins that I would look at and say, oh, they're evil. But there's other sins that I'm like, I kind of I like that. Remember, by the way, I've said this several times. Do you know why you sin? It's because you like it. Let's be real. You sin because you find some satisfaction for a brief period of time. And Paul is reminding us, listen, don't pretend to love. Abhor, you need to hate what is evil. There's a battle that's going on here. There's a battle for our lives and for the lives of those in our world. Detest, hate strongly what is evil. And we live in a day and age where sometimes we walk as closely as we can riding that fence. How much can I enjoy this world but still say that I'm a Christ follower? You say, not me, pastor. Well, I'm telling you that even I at times can come to that fence and say, hmm, I can justify this. This isn't that bad. No. What is sin is contrary to the character of God. What is evil, abhor it, detest it, hate it strongly. Maybe we've fallen too much in love with sin. And maybe we don't love Jesus enough. How's that for encouragement? 
love one another with brotherly affection. And so as he says this, he says, hold fast to what is good and love one another. Um, This holding fast is what we see in Matthew 19, verse 5, that references back to Genesis 2, 24, and talking about clinging to one another. As the marriage, uh, a man leaving his father and his mother to cling, to hold fast to his wife. And that's what Paul is writing here. Listen, hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil, but man, look at the good that God has and he desires and cling to what is good. Ever look at your kids, those of you who have children, and you say, why did you make that decision? Like, what was going on in your brain? And your child says, I don't know. Right? And, and you're just trying to process through with them and help them to see, listen, this is not a good decision. But yet, here is a good decision that you could do that's going to help you. That's ultimately what scripture tells us as we walk with Jesus, regardless of whatever scenario, whatever circumstances, if we walk obediently with God and we clearly live out our faith, doing what he's told us to do and avoiding those things that he's told us to avoid, it is going to be good. And we can cling to those good things. That doesn't mean our lives are going to be easy. They will be challenging and they will be difficult and they will be hard. We want life simple and we want life to be enjoyable. That's why we pursue sin. Because it provides a little bit of joy or a little bit of excitement or a little bit of happiness. For that brief period of time and the scriptures tell us sin is sweet for a season, but in its end, it leads to destruction. To cling to what is good means to say, I believe, God, your word is true, and what you've told me is true, and I want to live it. I say all of this as, as a precursor because of what we're going to dig into here. Ultimately, to live out the Christian faith and to live out Christian love, it's very rare to do what Paul is writing for us to do here is very challenging and very hard. It shouldn't be looked at as a list of things to do, but in a way, at least for me and those of you who are list makers, which I am not one which my wife often reminds me that I should be, for you list makers, it, it, it can be good for us to look down and walk through this. But again, this is a relational aspect between us and God. It isn't just a list of things. Our relationship with God, where God continues to show us our shortcomings, but also encourages us to continue to do what? To cling to what is good. It is for his glory and ultimately for our own good. What is that that we need to do? He says here, love one another with a brotherly love. This is talking about like a family bond. Now, some families don't have that bond. I understand that. When Paul is talking about this, he's writing about a tenderness and a kindness that we have towards one another. To be able to love one another in brotherly affection. How are you doing in that? Well, the people you like, sure, it's easy. In my family, it's easy to love those who are easily loved. What about those who are not so easily loved? Well, Paul tells us, love one another with that tenderness, that kindness. And then he makes this next statement. In verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. I love this because this is for those of us who are really competitive, right? Sometimes we just need that little extra motivation, and Paul writes it here for us. And he says, hey, listen, for those of you who are really competitive, let me give you something. Why don't you outdo one another? Outdo one another in what? Run faster? Be stronger? Pray more? No, he says this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Showing respect, showing value. 
ultimately, it's a call for us to listen to one another. Even though we may disagree, to look at somebody and to value them in such a way that lessens ourselves and puts the other person on at least the same pedestal, if not more higher than ours. Yes, I just said more higher. Part of when I speak, it's just to see if you're paying attention. How can you value the other person more? A lot of you know when we have meals, one of my convictions is that um, I eat last. And, and some of you have combated me through the years. And I, that's what kind of I see this as. Not in that way that we fight each other or arm wrestle each other to see who goes last in line. I just always say the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So I'm looking forward to the, the great feast in heaven one day and I'll get to dig in first. I'm just teasing. But in that same way, how are we challenging each other to respect and to care and to love each other? Again, it's easy to love and to respect somebody who, who is like you, who thinks like you, who, who has the same set of values and beliefs. But how do you respect, how do you value those who may be a little bit different than you? Paul is saying, go out of your way. And he's going to say that a couple times as we live our lives. Paul, as he's writing here, this is not a passive sit back and let things happen. See how it all goes. No, this is a pursuit for us. This is action steps that Paul is giving to the church in Rome, to the believers here. And he gives it to us for today. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. And then he says this statement, another, the second out of the eight that are negative. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. Last week we talked about zeal and the one who leads to do so with zeal. We talked a little bit about this at our strong men on Thursday mornings, which if you haven't had a chance to to ever come in and visit with us. We'd love for you men to join us on Thursday mornings at 7 a.m. Just don't join us this Thursday. It's the only week that we kind of take off. So, um, but next Thursday we will, all right, at 7 a.m. And we get together and we share a word and our word this week was zeal. And we talked about that and having zeal and I mentioned about this section here in verse 8 where Paul says, the one who leads, do it with zeal, that one who gives aid. And I shared this, like, think about you being in need of an ambulance, the one person or the people who will give you aid, right? Do you want them to be slow? Do you want an ambulance to be slow in giving you aid? The answer is no. Right? If you have a medical emergency, you want people there who know what they're doing as quickly as possible. Paul, as he's writing here, he's like, listen, don't be slothful in your zeal. Again, it's an action point as we look at our lives. This, this as we lead and as we live out our lives, it's not like we're to be that sloth that's in the zoo that we can watch for an hour and he moves two centimeters. See, some of you weren't paying attention. You need to pay attention. Think about if we live that way. Don't be slothful in your zeal. Now, zeal in and of itself is, is not necessarily good nor bad. But, but zeal for these things, Paul's encouraging them Listen, be proactive, get on your high horse. This is something that you should be pursuing. You say, well, pastor, I'm not a people person. Stand up in the gate of heaven one day and tell that to Jesus. 
I'm sorry, Jesus, I just wasn't a people person. We have one life. You have one life to live. And we don't know when it ends. We have some hints of when it begins, by the way. When the mother is carrying child, right? It's very apparent, but never tell her that. But we don't know when our life will end. How are you using the time that you've been given? Or have you been swayed by the world? Paul is writing and saying, listen, there's a way to live out our lives. And it's not sitting on the sidelines. It's participating. Do not be slothful in zeal. But then he goes on and he says, listen, uh, be fruitful or be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Um, it, it's kind of like this um, picture that, that, that resounds with me. I, I want to be a, a pot that boils over. Right? I, I don't want to be a lukewarm pot. I don't want to be cold water. Like I, I don't want that. No, I want to be a pot that boils over. And in doing that, we show love passionately. Now, go back to your dating years, right? I still try to open the doors for my wife as much as I can and as much as she'll let me, which she's pretty good at that. But man, back when we were dating, I was on it, right? I was on everything and everything was exciting. I planned out our dates. I planned out what we were going to eat and all the things that were happening I was passionate about it. What happens over the course of time? Oh, she knows I love her. God, you know that I love you. And we start living out life without passion or fervency. The fervent of our spirit that, that inside we can't wait for the next day, waiting for God to use us. Waiting for God to use the opportunity for us to love people passionately. And I just ask you, are you loving God out of passion? Or are you loving him out of obligation? I don't want to love my wife just out of obligation which becomes very apparent after a period of time, doesn't it? Somebody just loves you out of obligation. Now, sometimes my wife loves me out of obligation because of what I do stupid. I get it. And I'm very thankful for that. A committed wife. Amen, Eric. That's right. You know. But if that's all I ever saw or all that I ever lived, how would that relationship flourish? The same is true with our relationship with God, to be passionate and loving him, but loving others, that charge here, that we are what he says here, to serve the Lord. Are you serving you or are you serving the Lord? Which there's a couple ways to be able to test that. Look at your schedule and look at your bank account. Those are two quick ways to be able to show you who you're serving. Verse 12, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Let me tell you, if you need a verse to hang up on your mirror, or even if you're like me, we go to the refrigerator quite often, uh, more than the mirror, uh, which maybe I should switch that, I don't know. But when you think about it, put this verse in front of you. Because here's a great equation. When we think about living our life out for the Lord, I could just base a sermon just on this, on this verse alone. Here's an equation of how we live out our love for Jesus and our love for other people. Hope, patience, and prayer. Rejoice in hope. Why? Because this is not the end, right? 
All that we see around us isn't the final conclusion. Where is your hope as a follower of Jesus? It's in Jesus' return. It's in the hope of having eternity in heaven in the presence of the eternal God and living with him. That's our hope. But we put our hope in a lot of worthless things that don't last. And so when tribulation comes, oh man, we just give up. Or we're quick to give up. And that's where he says, listen, no, keep being patient. Because remember where your hope is. Your hope is not here. But knowing that whatever tribulations you are facing, keep being patient because that's not the end all. And as you're doing that, he says, listen, pray. Continue to keep constantly this word constant. It's a continuation in prayer. Why? Because we need those channels to be open as we're, as we're walking through tribulations and we're trying to say, Lord, help me be patient that he would speak to us and remind us of the hope, but also continue to show us little glimpses of himself and the reasons and maybe the purposes of why we're walking through that. Sometimes he shows us and sometimes he doesn't. But that constant in prayer, the patience in tribulation, who here does not need reminded of the hope of salvation? We all need that. Who here does not need patience as we endure persecutions and hardships? Who here doesn't need more constant in our prayer life? See here, right here is, is a great equation to put in front of you as you walk throughout even the, your week this week. He continues on, and now he focuses a little bit about how we individually, but then he says, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. When I first read this, I'm like, contribute to the needs. That means I'm going to continue to give them more needs. That's not what that means. Don't make people more needy. Don't make it harder on them. All right? No, contribute to the needs, meaning they have needs and you are going out of your way to help contribute to help them. I don't know about you, but as I read this, I was once again convicted because it's easy for me to give out of my surplus. It's difficult to need a give out of my where I feel like, oh, this is going to be tight. He doesn't say give out of your surplus here. Those who have needs, he's telling us, contribute. Give to them. Generosity. It's the term koinonia here. That we come along and we share in whatever they're walking through. Which we'll see here in a little bit. More of what that looks like. This is a very physical, tangible way, though, where we contribute to whatever needs they may have. Physical needs. He says also to seek to show hospitality. The phrase ultimately in the Greek means to show love to strangers. That you are looking for opportunities to be a hospital. Hospitality. He then says, bless those who persecute you. I love this next section. Really, let me just say that I don't because it's really difficult. And if I'm really honest, I think from here, even into the next chapter, I think we've gotten a lot of things backwards in the church today. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You know what this is called? It's called graciousness. I often have to remind my children to show grace to each other. Why? Because siblings are good at not showing grace. But really, we all are. Especially when somebody has done us wrong. Or in my family, they did us dirty. 
The Greek word here means to bless, or it comes from what our English term is eulogy. To give a eulogy for somebody means that you stand before a group of people and you're talking about someone. And usually that talk is in a very positive light. Right? Ever been to a eulogy that was really negative and bad? I haven't been to too many of those. Now there's been comments said. And don't have any fear. I'm not going to give a eulogy for you if it's required and talk negatively about you. Because that wouldn't be gracious. That's this term bless. What about you? Those who are mean... Those who treat you wrong, those who persecute you, how do you respond to them? Would you be able to stand up and give a eulogy, a kind word about them? How does that happen, by the way? How does all this take place? It's not by our will or by our power, right? It's by the spirit of the living God indwelling in us. And so this isn't about you or me having to muster up enough love in order to live it out in these ways. No, it's allowing the spirit of the living God to continually keep working in us as we read his word and we spend time with him. These are not easy things. And these things will not just happen. It's like the old Garfield uh, comic that I read when I was a kid where he had a big test the next day. I don't know how cats have big tests, but he had a big test coming. And so he tied four of his books to his head as he laid down to go to sleep at night, hoping that through osmosis, all of it would drain into his head and he would wake up having the knowledge of all that he needed. Oh, if it was only that easy, right? I tie this thing around my head and my whole body. It'd be great. It's hard and it's difficult. But God isn't going to tell us to do something that we're not capable of doing through his help and through his work. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. To come alongside, like the old Swedish proverb that says this, shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. He then says, live in harmony with one another. That takes humility to lower yourself. Once again, it's this picture of lowering yourself to come in togetherness with one another. Harmony. He says another negative. Here our fourth negative. Do not be haughty. You've ever been around people who are haughty? We could probably list a few names. It's never you though. You're never haughty, right? Haughty means high, like nose up in the air. You're better than everyone else. But associate with the lowly. It's a great picture here. That as we see, we see Paul write about this in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And the example that we have is Jesus. Here's Jesus who left heaven and came to earth to associate with you and me. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what makes the incarnation of Jesus so amazing. That God would come and dwell with you and me. To come to us lowly human beings. Say, well, we're not that bad. Well, when you're perfect, down here, it's pretty bad. And yet Jesus came in humility, lowering himself to become like you and me in human form. Ultimately, this phrase, to be associated with lowly, means to allow yourself to be carried away by people of low rank. Now it's been said in the past that the low people of society will cause bad morals 
or they will lead you down a path that will distract you from your full worth. That's not how Jesus looks at people of low rank, nor is it the way that we should look at people. Allow yourself to be carried away. I love that. Would you be carried away by somebody who is lower of rank than you? It's a military way of looking at things. You have in the military a very clear structure, and you better fall into line. Would you, in the military ranks of God's army, allow yourself to come underneath others who are lower than you? It's a good way for us to be reminded that we are all made in the image of our creator. Every man, woman, and child. Next, he writes another negative here. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Uh, interesting. Haven't we already seen this and heard this? Oh, yes, that's right. You passed the test. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, with sound judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So here, once again, as Paul is reminding us, don't be wise in your own sight. Don't think that you have all the answers. You don't want to be one of those know-it-alls. Verse 18, if possible, and here's the true mark of Paul, he comes always into reality. Paul helps us to see that sometimes it's not possible, but if possible, so far as it depends upon you, meaning we each have a personal responsibility here. You can't control other people and what they do or how they act, but he's saying here as it is possible for you to do what? To live peaceably with all. To live peaceably with all. This is a personal responsibility. And it never hinges on someone else. How are you bringing peace to your world? Next, beloved, I love how he starts this. That means he's got something big he's going to share, right? And again, a very endearing term here, beloved. Those of you family, come on, let's, I got a word to say. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. In reality, maybe this is what you need to put on your mirror or your refrigerator. There are times in my life that this has been very difficult to live out. You say, well, what persecution has gone on in your life? I don't have the time to share everything, nor is it probably as significant as maybe some of what you guys have gone through. But when your name is slandered, and your values have been thrown up against a wall and charged against, and you've been accused wrongly of being somebody that you are not, it's very easy. It can be very easy to not bless those who curse you, nor in this text here to allow God to have the last say. Never means what? Never. Never avenge yourselves. It's ironic that we have a movie series, The Avengers, right? We'll just leave it to the Avengers to avenge for us. So don't do it yourself. In actuality, we have a great avenger. 
And that's what Paul reminds his readers here. And he's going to remind them from two different passages of the Old Testament. As Paul has done and will continue to do here, not only in Romans, but in each of his letters, he always takes back the church and the early believers to the Old Testament. He helps them to tie the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament, that he is one and of the same. And so he helps us where he says here, quoting from Deuteronomy 32, from the Pentateuch, part of the first five books of the Bible, which have been called the law, that the Jews would have clearly known and understand. Paul quotes and says, listen, vengeance you are never to take. Why? Because, here he quotes, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So whose vengeance is it to repay? It's not yours and it's not mine. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, doing so, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. He now quotes from Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. Okay, vengeance is the Lord, but here's what you get to do. Paul is saying, here's some real action as your name may be defamed or that as you walk through persecution, as you go through difficult times. And as we read in history, we know these early church and, and Christ followers did not have an easy life. But as they were to walk through persecution and hardship, here's the encouragement. Listen, have hope. Be patient. And keep praying and talking to God. And as you do it, remember, don't take the circumstances into your own hands. Don't repay evil for evil. No, vengeance is God's. He is the great judge. You are not. And as you do that, do good to them. If they're hungry, feed them something. If they're thirsty, give them something to, to drink. Meaning, give them of their needs Whatever need that they may have, help provide for that. Didn't we already hear that once? And he's reminding us again in a different way. To provide for the needs. And when you do that to your enemy, because it's easy to do for those who you love, those who are kind to you, it's easy to be kind. When you do that, it's like a heaping ashes on the head of your enemy. Anybody ever put burning coals on your head? Logan, you've done that. Yeah. How'd that feel, buddy? It hurt. I would advise not doing that. We'll have to check out <clears throat> what you're being taught. Who, which sister taught you that, huh? It was probably Judah. When you think about this, it's a very clear picture for us. That the world and those enemies cannot comprehend why you would respond with that kind of love. In fact, it infuriates them. Because why? It's totally contrary to evil. And that's why Paul says here, listen, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. It's so hard because this is the way the world does it. And we see the world and we can easily just jump in and respond and live the way the world structure has set it. But again, the world and its laws don't dictate how we live. Amen? This, the word of God, dictates how we live. And it's really hard. And it's really difficult. We are called to protect, but we're not called to retaliate. And when we allow God to work, it reminds us of what Paul already wrote to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 39. 
that ultimately it's his grace that is working in every situation that he, again, he transcends even our own comprehension. That he is working for our good and for his glory. That we could continue to somehow in some way grasp that as our faith in him grows, he continues to allow circumstances and situations in our lives to challenge that faith, but never take us beyond. He does not allow a temptation to enter on our life that we cannot overcome. But in those temptations, he gives us a way of escape. And that way is always coming back to him and always coming back to his ways. So here's the three takeaways that I encourage you to have today. The first is this, give yourself, give yourself. Are you willing to give a hundred percent every day of your life? It's a challenge. I can't say that I do it every day, all the time, but that's what Paul is ultimately pleading for us to do that we as we live out our faith, that we would give ourselves. There's a, a saying that ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. I've always told my cross-country runners that there's nothing, nothing good that, that you cannot have, that you can't have unless you work hard for it. In the running world, you have to put the work in. Some people are more gifted than others, but ultimately, if you want to be a fast runner, what do you have to do? You have to train. You have to work at it. And it's hard. And the older I get, the more I don't want to work hard. Why? Because I have nothing to prove. Some of us, as we sit in this room even, you've gotten to a place in your faith where you're very comfortable and you say, I have nothing more to prove. Well, it's not about proving your love for God. It's about totally surrendering yourself every day, giving yourself to him. That in some crazy way, he would work in you to do his will through you. That he would show himself through you. That's fascinating in and of itself, isn't it? That here I am as an individual that God would desire to show himself through me. What a sense of responsibility. And what a sense of humility that it must take as we ultimately give ourselves to him. And says, here's my life. Change my thinking. Change the way that I live. And through that, then he can start working. And through that, then here's our second point. To be able to live out authentic love. Authentic love looks like this. You want to talk about somebody who really loves? You read through these verses and you do these things. You allow the Spirit of God to do them through you. And as we've already said, it is not quick, nor is it easy. It's not like mac and cheese that you can buy at Sam's Club and put it in the microwave after adding a little bit of water and after just a few moments, it is quick and easy and warm. Loving people and loving God is not quick and easy. But we want it to be genuine. The third is this. Get rid of what stands in your way. We see this oftentimes throughout scripture, throwing aside the weight that so easily ensnares you. Paul, as he writes here, some of these negatives, I think ultimately kind of combine into three different areas. First is pride. Your pride that you think you're so haughty and arrogant that you're something. Let me just tell you, you are nothing Without the grace of Jesus. I am nothing. Without the grace of my Lord and Savior. 
I can accomplish a lot of things on this earth, but you and I, we are nothing without the grace of God that's been poured out for us and to us. Pride. Get it out of your way. And what's interesting, when we start praying, God, would you help remove any pride that's in my life? All of a sudden, he starts providing situations. It, it is like praying for patience, right? You never pray for patience, right? Because God's going to put you in situations. It's the same with pride. And I would encourage you this morning, say, well, I'm not proudful. <laughs> Sorry, I don't... I, not sure why that came out so vocally, but if you say you're not proudful, like, come on. We all have a little pride in our life. That's why we've got to throw it to the side. The second is fear. What stands in your way? Fear. How many decisions have you made this last week that have been based out of fear? Don't let fear rule you. Sometimes we respond to persecution or trials or hardship. We respond out of fear. That's why we say hurtful things. That's why we do hurtful things. Because we're scared. Remember what Paul has already written for us. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. What can man do to us if God is for us? The third is this, just pure selfishness. It's your selfish living. And I'm not going to stand here and throw stones at you, but I'm going to tell you how I live. And I think you're just like me. We all have moments of selfish living, don't we? This is such an encouraging sermon today. Thank you, Pastor. You're proudful, you live in fear, and you're selfish. Amen. Let's go home. But we got to get rid of those things. And how do we do that? Continuing to bring ourselves before the Almighty God. And we say, Lord, I'm broken, I feel useless at times. And yet here I am as a vessel wanting to be used by you. So would you use me so that I can show love? Show your love to other people? So that I can love you and love people? Oh, wait, you know what? That sounds like something Jesus would have said, right? When he said, was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love God and love people. Paul is once again reminding us of what that looks like when we live this out in true everyday decision making. My prayer is that we will live out our faith. Let's not just talk about it. But let's continue to examine our lives and allow Jesus to examine our hearts and say, Lord, here's my life. I desperately need your help. Help me to live it by faith, trusting you. Get rid of the pride, the fear, the selfishness, the ways of the world that can tangle me up. Because I know my life is short and I need you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenging truth of your word. I thank you, Lord, that you not only saved us, but you've given us the hope and the confidence that we can live each day growing in our faith, growing in our understanding, to be able to better comprehend your truth. And yet, Lord, we, we still make selfish and proudful and fearful decisions that really hinder your love being shown 
out of us. And so I come, Lord, humbly as your servant, realizing that I am who I am because of your grace. And I ask that you would forgive me. Forgive me for my pride, for my arrogance, for thinking that I always have to be right. Forgive me that there are times where I fear what man thinks of me or I fear the loss of something really valuable to me. Forgive me when fear drives my decision making instead of faith. Lord, I'm sorry that I am so self-focused at times. So much of my day can be run and ruled in the way that I think it should be. And when I don't get my way, I get mad and angry and upset. Or I throw a fit and I walk away from you. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us as a church. As a nation, as your church in the universe here, Lord, on this globe, you've given us a recipe to show your love and to show our faith to a lost world. And yet, Lord, we often get in the way of that. So we pray, Lord, this morning that you would forgive us and that we would repent and turn to your way and that you would help us to live out a genuine love. We know we can't do it by ourselves, Lord. And so we ask for your spirit to work in us, to work in me, to continue to show me those areas where, where I enjoy sin more than I enjoy you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to know you continually. As the old Puritan prayer says, help me to know continually that there can be no true happiness, no fulfilling of your purpose for me, apart from a life lived in and for your son. Oh, how we need Jesus. And we need him more today than ever before. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time of worshiping you, and I pray that you would go before us. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving, and see you next Sunday.